our second installment of Hashtag Family, our series. We're looking forward to continuing this series, continuing this message, and see what God has for us as we're looking at some characters in the Old Testament by the name of Abraham and Sarah. And last week, we kicked off this whole series entitled Family, and we talked about mending the modern family. And we we went through several things. I'm just doing a quick recap because some people were here, some people may have missed it. And we talked about what is the goal for families. And for some people, they have set the goal for family and the goal for themselves and the goal for their children as the happiness. And you see families out there, and they're chasing this goal of happiness. Whatever it takes to keep the family happy. So they're going on vacations they can't afford. They're buying things for their kids that they kids just uh, don't really need. And uh, just doing all these extra things to keep people happy because that's their goal. And guess what? They're not really happy. And then we've moved on to that. We said there's, there's a smaller target, and we've said that's healthiness. So you've got these parents that are like, I just want to keep my kid emotionally, physically, healthy. That's just my goal. Just got to keep them healthy. But the problem is we're missing the fact that Jesus and, and throughout Scripture has taught the principle it's not about being happy or healthy. It's about being holy, and holy means to be like Jesus. And when we get that one right, the others are a natural byproduct. You do get joy. You do get happiness. As you read the end of the psalm, Psalms 146, the whole entire psalms is about happiness. So don't tell me God doesn't want you to be happy. He just doesn't want you to make that the object of your focus, that, that center point for you. And so we need to get the order back in. And then we also said there there was a priority. We said that the priority was God first. And then we said, next, it's marriage. And then third, it's children. And today, as you look at priorities, and today, as you look at how people have structured their families, you can see that order is all out of whack. And we wonder why our lives are in disorder. It's because we put God out of order. And so once we get God back in his proper place, we find that there's order once again in our families and in our lives. And so we're going to continue this week. But this week, we're dealing with um, relationship rescue, restoring relationships, because the reality is there's always in every family, there's going, and you can't avoid it. There's going to be those fights. There's going to be arguments. There's going to be things that create rifts in the relationship. And what happens is sometimes we look at these rifts, we look at these things in the relationship, and sometimes people just decide, well, it's too bad to fix, it's too messy, I don't want to deal with the drama, and I don't want to deal with all the hurt and all the negative emotions, and so they just leave it. And instead of doing that, we want to see this morning, how do we handle those moments when there is a rift in the relationship, when there is something? Because I know people today, they have not spoken to their family members in decades. They don't call their parents. They don't follow up with people. There are people that they are estranged from their own uh, uh, parents. They're estranged from other family members. And it happens because we allow something in the relationship to cause a divide, to cause a separation. And we need to get back to the point where we're saying, you know what? We're not going to let anything ruin the relationship. We're going to rescue. We're going to restore this relationship. So what we're going to do, we're going to get back to scripture. Last week, we left off. We started in chapter 15 of Genesis, and we left off in chapter 16. We're going to pick up right where we left off at chapter 16. So if you have your Bible, you can pull it out. If you don't, not a problem. We'll have it up on the screen, and we'll also have it in your worship guide. You could just pull that out, all right? Let's read the scriptures. Can we do this? Let's stand out of respect for the word of God. We haven't done this in a while, and I want to have a stand. Kind of get the blood flowing, get a little exercise here. And we'll read beginning in verse number three. Okay, here's what the Bible says. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Verse four. And when he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Basically, here's what happened, okay? So here's this maid that was a servant that they had gotten when they were in Egypt. She is a servant of Sarai. Sarai cannot have children. She wants children. Abraham wants children, but they can't have any. So they decide to go kind of a surrogate route. And Sarai says, hey, take my maid, Hagar, and take her and have a child by her. This was kind of Sarai's idea. She comes to it. And this happens, all right? And so they have this union. They get together. She conceives. She has a child. Now, all of a sudden, Hagar, the servant, she starts getting a little bit uppity. She starts thinking that she's... uh, 
you know, kind of all that. And she thinks she's on a different plane. So she starts treating Sarai poorly. So here's what happened, verse number five. And Sarai said unto Abraham, my wrong be upon thee, or be upon you. This is your fault. And it's amazing how in a relationship, isn't that what we like to do? When we start something, we look for somebody else to blame. That's just human nature, just human nature, all right? And she said, my wrong be upon you. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and you. But Abram said unto Sarah, behold, this is your maid. I put her in your hand. Do to her as it pleases you. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Hagar said, I don't have to put up with this. I'm out of here. Hagar is from Egypt. Many scholars believe she was on a journey to go back to Egypt, okay? Verse number seven, and the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the way in the fountain, the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence comest thou? Where are you coming from? Question. And where are you going? Question. And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. All right? Now, before you get seated, you got to find three people, and you got to say, Go Niners, whether you're a Niners fan or not. Find three people, high-five them, say, Go Niners, three people. And if you can't say it, and this is going to cause a divide, that's fine. Just find three people. Once you find a seat, you can be seated. I think I just caused a church split, man. Some of you are like, I hate the Niners. Some of you love the Niners. So it's all good. Let's start with the word of prayer before we get started this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship in your house. I pray right now, this morning, that you would meet with us. I thank you for those that have gathered. I pray that your scripture would be real to us. I pray that we would look at a book that we know is old. We know it's dated. But I pray that we would see that its truth is so relevant. It's so powerful. It's so practical. It's so helpful that it would change our lives today, this Sunday, September 20th. I pray that we would apply it and our families would be better for it. We love you. We pray that the Giants, uh, the 49ers would win, and we pray for the Raiders too, that they would also win too. Lord, you know they need your help. We love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, people were like, you prayed for the Niners. You, you left out the Oakland. They're also a Bay Area team. So, you know, we're, we're going to bring them all in on it, you know, so glad that you are here. We are talking about relationship rescue because I see that there is a divide that happens in relationships. There's a gap and we need to bridge that gap in the relationship. So two people, they fight. This could be in your relationship. It could be spouses. It could be children and parents. It could be a spouse with their in-laws. It could be a uh, spouse with their own parents. Um, This could be with extended family. I can tell you what, in this room alone, I guarantee you, you've had moments with family where you're just like, I don't want to be around them. I don't want to go to that family function. I don't want to talk to them. I want to ignore them, delete them on Facebook because, oh, I'm just frustrated by them. They just make me so mad. And so what can happen in the family, there can be these rifts, there can be these divides, but we need to understand that even though every family will fight, your family will fight, your family is worth fighting for. God put you in that family for a reason. God gave you that family. And there's something about it where God is saying, hey, I put you there. I want you to fight for that family. So maybe there isn't a strange son or daughter. Maybe there isn't the relationship you would like with your parents. Or maybe there is some distant relationship that you haven't talked to that person. You know the last conversation didn't go well. There were things that happened that you're kind of embarrassed by. And you know right now that you have never made things right. And there's this gap. Well, this morning we want to talk about bridging the gap in the relationship. Because a bridge helps you get from here to there. And that's what we want to do. So by way of introduction this morning, I'm going to put a bridge up on the screen. As soon as you see the bridge, I want you to tell me what that bridge is. Let's put it up on the screen. First bridge. Can anybody tell me? Shout it out. Oh, that was too easy. So easy. Let's get a little bit harder. Let's throw another bridge up there. See if you can get it. 
bear with us. Oh, okay. Some of you are like, oh, is that the Bay Bridge? It's the Bay Bridge. Here's a really hard one. Some of you that commute in the Bay Area, you'll know this bridge. Let's go to the next bridge. Yes, there we go. A few of you still knew it. I wasn't sure if you guys would get that one. All right, let's go to the next bridge. Brooklyn, who said Brooklyn? You got it. That's the Brooklyn Bridge. Let's go to the next one. That's Jeff Bridges. Wait a minute. Hold on. We're sticking with Bridges. All right, let's go to the next one. Next one. London Bridge. Actually, it's called the Tower Bridge. Let's go to the actual London Bridge. Can you give me the London Bridge? Anybody know where this bridge is at? Lake Havasu, wow, yes, we got some people that are on it. There's a great story behind this about this guy. I thought he was buying the London Bridge. He didn't realize he was buying the one in Arizona. He thought he was buying the one back in London, all right? So we're talking about bridges this morning. We're talking about bridging the gap in the relationship because there's a rift. And so this morning, we need a bridge. Now, some of you may be thinking, I don't have a family. I'm not married. I don't have children. Like we said last week, no matter what your age or your stage This series is for you. Let's say that together. Ready? No matter what your age or your stage, this series is for you. So we're looking at this. We're talking about this couple. And here is Hagar. Hagar has left the family. There is a situation. She's embarrassed. She was wrongly treated. And guess what? You're all normal people, rational people. And when you get in a fight and you're mistreated, the first natural reaction is to say, I don't have to put up with this. I'm I'm not dealing with this. Forget it. I don't have to be here. I'll leave. I know some people, they intentionally park their car when they go visit certain family members. They park it in case they need to leave real quick. They don't pull in so the front of the car is facing the garage. No, no, they have it facing the other way in case they need to get out and leave. It's set so they can go quickly. So some of you may be at that point where you're like, yep, That's how I point the car so I can leave if I need to leave. Well, here we see that this is Hagar's reaction. She's mistreated, and so she wants to leave. She said, it's done. I don't care. I'm leaving, and that's what she does. But I want to tell you, if you are going to have a strong relationship this morning, you need to lead and don't leave. You need to lead and don't leave. Too often I see people that are saying, I don't have to put up with this. I'm out of here. And they just walk out on the relationship. They're just done. They said, forget it. I don't have to deal with this boss. I don't have to deal with this spouse. I don't have to deal with these children. I'm gone. Never see them again because they just leave. Now I'm telling you this morning that if you want to have a strong, healthy, wonderful family, there are going to be times when you're going to feel like fighting. But at that moment, you need to lead the way. And we're talking about bridges. So it's at that time we got to remind ourselves, don't burn this bridge. Don't burn this bridge. And there are some people this morning, there are relationships that you know you've burned. You know with that person, maybe even with your spouse, there's that moment and you guys both know it and you've never quite fully dealt with that issue. You're just hoping that it just kind of doesn't come back. But the problem is these issues always resurface. Some of you, this issue may come back every couple of years, come back to bite you. And you never fully deal with it. And since you never fully deal with it, it just keeps getting a little bit worse and a little bit worse. And you're just running from it because you burnt that bridge. Or maybe there's somebody, you said something or you did something and you never went back to that person. So don't burn the bridge. Touch the person next to you and say, don't burn the bridge. Don't burn the bridge. Don't burn the bridge this morning. We're trying to build the bridge. Let's not burn the bridge. But here's Hagar. What's she doing? She's running. Instead of leading the way and saying, hey, wait, I was mistreated, but let's restore the relationship. She's running from the relationship. She said she's going to flee from it. You know why we run? And we said this last week, because we have a thirst to be first. That's why we run. You run in the relationship. I run in the relationship because I'm mistreated and I want my way and I've got to have my rights. And so if I'm not treated how I think I should be treated, guess what? I'm out of here. We all do it. Because we have a thirst to be first. And if we're ever mistreated, we say, nope, I don't have to put up with this. I'm out of it. But I want you to write this down. If you run, you won't restore. If you run, you won't restore the relationship. And so our country is riddled with families that are broken and hurting and people with deep, deep wounds because somebody ran out on the relationship. 
Now, I'm not talking about little cutesy stuff like our first crush, how she broke your heart. You, you made and craft class that little heart and you put in that little heart. I like you and put two little boxes. Do you like me? Check yes or check no. And she checked no and the whole school saw it and now you're humiliated and you've never gotten over it. No, no, I'm talking about some of you have deep wounds where guess what? Mom wasn't there or dad wasn't there or that person that you trusted to take care of you didn't. You were abused, you were hurt, you were mistreated, you were left behind, you were left out. You were bullied. Something bad happened, and all of a sudden, you've got this deep wound, and you just try to cover it up and just try to get by. Because somebody ran out. What often happens is what we see as an example, many times we follow that example. So here's Hagar. She's leaving. She's running out on the relationship. She's walking out. She says, I'm not going to restore. I'm not going to stay here. And today, America especially sees this as an epidemic. Since 2004, guess what? The normal family is, is no longer a husband and wife with 2.3 kids. That's gone. One married couple. Now, since 2004, the average family in America is now what we call the blended family, meaning their stepchildren, meaning their stepmom, their stepdad, or single mom, and its dad lives over here. That is the normal family in America, and that shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. What happened? Because we're, we're, we're divided. Somebody left. Somebody caused a rift. And so how do we restore it? Next week, you've got to come back next week because I'm going to talk about that exact same topic. We're going to call it Better When Blended. You're going to want to be here for that. Next week's going to be awesome, all right? I'm going to bring a blender up here. We're going to blend some stuff. It's going to be awesome. Better when blended. Because if that's what America looks like, let's speak to that, how we can be better when we're blended. And some people say, well, well, well maybe I did make a mistake. We're not here to beat you and shame you about, your, about a mistake. That's not what we're here to do. We're just saying, hey, here's the reality. Let's build from that. If this is what we have, let's build. Let's make something great out of it. So let's not run. Let's lead the way in restoring the relationship. But we said we need to build the bridge. Let's not burn the bridge. But I do have to interject here. There are some relationships where we should burn that bridge. You say, what do you mean? You see, to get to the right somewhere in life, you need the right someone. If to get to the right somewhere, you need the right someone. See, if every relationship in my life is a bridge and that's taking me somewhere, I need to know these people. I need to know who are they. Hey, parents, you should know who your kids' friends are. You should know who your daughter is dating. You should know who your son is dating. You should know them. You, sh- you, you, if you, whoever you are, your friends, you should know who your friends are. You say, why is it so important not to just know their name, not to know their sports, but to know what they're really about, to know what drives them, because you're going to be influenced by them, and you're going to have a relationship with them. Not only do you know who, need to know who they are, you need to know whose they are. You say, what do I mean, whose they are? Because some of those friends, guess what? Drugs owns them pornography owns them hey they're addicted to some substance you should have no business being around there are some things where their car owns them their sports team owns them that's who has that person and you're going to be affected by it so not only should we know who our friends are we should also know whose they are because some of you you know there's that friend that they're just like man they're constantly all about that one thing that's all they talk about. It's all they want to do. And whenever you're around them, they just want to drink. They always want to drink. And you've got something where you're saying, you know what? I'm a Christian now. And there's some things that should change. I, I just, you need to burn that bridge. There are some bridges you just say, I got to burn that bridge. Not only do you need to say who they are, whose they are, but where are they taking you? Where are they taking you? Because you're influenced by your friends. You're going to be, this morning, I was reading in my devotions in 2 Samuel. The Bible talks about a horrific story in the life of David. David had several children from several different wives. He had one son whose name was Absalom. Absalom had a sister whose name's Tamar. And then he had another son. One of his sons raped his own sister. And then Absalom murdered him. And here's what's amazing. The son who raped his own sister, here's what the Bible says. Use these very words. And Amnon had a friend. His own friend told him to do it. And he listened. That's the power of friends. And so you need to look at the relationships in your life because they're taking you somewhere. Don't be a naive parent. Hey, at your job, those coworkers, they're taking you somewhere. They're influencing you. They're, 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 they're hurting you or they're helping you. So we've got to analyze the relationship. Let's not just be naive. Let's say, wait a minute, where are these relationships in my life going? We need to take time and look at them. And sometimes we've got to say, this is a bridge I've got to burn. 
This is something I've got to deal with. There are some things in your life you're saying, hey, this bridge has got to go. And you've got to take a little lighter fluid to the relationship. You've got to say, hey, you know what? You're not helping me right now. Everything I'm trying to do, you're not trying to do. I'm trying to get involved in church. I'm trying to love my spouse. I'm trying to do better. And guess what? You're always talking about that other cute secretary that just got hired, and you're a married man. And you're always talking about getting wasted on the weekends and doing this stuff. And that's not going to help me be in the Lord's house because I'm supposed to work six days, worship one day. That's God's order. And instead, what I'm going to do with this relationship is I'm going to bring some lighter fluid to it. You're not a bad person. We can be friends, but guess what? We ain't going to be best friends. We used to go together, but guess what? We can't go together anymore. Hey, this isn't just a message for the teenagers. This is for the adults, too, because I see a lot of adults do some stupid stuff, all right? And it's because they don't set fire to certain relationships. And instead of saying, hey, you know what? This relationship is not helping me. It's not getting me closer to the Lord. It's not helping me be a better husband. It's not helping me be a better spouse. Some of the ladies here, you have friends that all they do is tear down their husbands, and you wonder why you can't stop complaining to your husband. All your friends is all they do. And then they always talk about all the new shopping, all the latest things that they buy, they get. And so you go home thinking, how come we don't have a big house like that? How come you don't buy me nice stuff like that? Because we don't want to be in debt, honey. That's why. And all of a sudden, what happens? We've got this contention. We've got this attitude in our heart. And instead of just saying, wait a minute, is this a relationship God wants me to have? Now, for some of you, you have relationships in your life, and you're being friendly to people so that you can share with them the love of Jesus Christ. You're not allowing them to influence him. You're saying, you know what? I want to help this person. But we have to be careful. Are we still helping this person or is this person pulling us down? So some relationships, we need to say, nope, this is not one to build. This is one to burn. And I see it too much happen in churches where we are not guarding our relationships. And we just wonder why people don't make it. I'm going to tell you what. If you want to have a happy, successful marriage, find people who have a happy and successful marriage and hang out with them. You have people that are doing a good job in this church raising their kids. Hang out with them, and you're going to raise some good kids. Why? Because nearness is likeness. It just happens. You ever see a husband and wife who've been married for like 50 years? They start looking like each other. I kid you not. They start acting like each other. Their mannerisms are the same. They start looking alike. And you get to a certain age where you can almost wear the same clothes. I've seen it. I kid you not. They start wearing each other's clothes. And I saw this one couple. They always used to shop at a Costco I used to work at. They wore identical clothes. They even looked kind of identical. She would cut her hair real short, kind of curly, wore glasses, wore these weird pants, you know, and he wore the same thing, dressed exactly alike, and they just kind of looked alike. It was incredible. Some of you, your children, I look at your children, I'm like, wow, they look just like you. And then I find out they're adopted, and I'm like, that's no way. There's no way that is your child. That is your child. Why? They take on your characteristics. They look like you. They talk like you. They act like you. And I'm thinking, you know what? That's because we mirror movement. It's scientific. You mirror movement. You say, what do you mean? I'll prove it to you. You go up to a baby, you go in our nursery right now, and if you look at him and you smile real big, that baby's naturally going to smile right back at you. Now, if you go up to that baby and you go, boo, like that, and then guess what they're going to do? They're going to freak out, the mom's going to slap you, and it's going to be bad, and uh, we're going to have to kick you out of the church, something like that. Just don't be scaring little babies. Why? Because we mirror movement. You ever walk through the mall? Try it this afternoon. When you go downstairs, just look somebody like a complete stranger, just give them a big old smile. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're on something. But guess what? They're going to kind of smile back. Why? Because we mirror movement. So if we mirror movement, and if we are so reactive to the relationships around us, we need to take careful inventory. Who are we allowing into our lives? We need to be very careful about it. Because I think we don't put up enough guard. And so this morning, there may be a relationship you need to say, you know what? There was a time when I used to go with you, but we can't anymore. Because you and I, we're heading in two different directions. So this is a bridge. I'm going to burn this bridge. So we need to lead before we leave. We need to lead, lead in that restoration. Hey, mom, hey, dad, let's lead in that. Let's be the first one. Let's be the one to step up to the plate. And I'm going to tell you what. There have been times when I have messed this one up. I promise you, I have messed up big time. But you always have to have that moment where you come back and say, I'm sorry. Be the first one to say, I'm sorry. And I'm going to say something. It's a little bit easier for the guys to say I'm sorry in here than it is the ladies. Now, I know all the ladies go, Shh. I know instantly you just want to, don't, 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 just hold on for a second. Because you want to see our behavior change first. You kind of want us to prove that we've changed first. You see, the guys, we kind of just get over it. Like, 
you know, 25, 30 minutes. We may yell, scream, kick the cat, kick the dog. Not the dog, the cat for sure. But, you know, and then all of a sudden we come back and, hey, baby, how you doing? And you kind of try to snuggle up to him. Hey, just slap him. Don't touch me. Get away. Get away. Because you gotta, you gotta, you gotta earn that apology. They want you to earn it. I figured out my wife. She's awesome. I just gotta start ironing, cleaning, just doing something. And man, just give her an hour or two. We're good. We're good. It's all good. Just gotta clean something. Just gotta act like I'm doing something. Just build something. I don't know what I'm doing. I take a hammer, just act like I'm fixing something. And all of a sudden, she's like, oh, he's getting to that to-do list. And then all of a sudden, later on that night, it's all good. I'm telling you. So I want you to understand it's not too hard to figure these people out, but we've got to be the first one to lead the way. Now, the ladies, they might take a little while, okay? You may have to prove yourself a little bit to them, but let's lead the way. Not only just with our spouses, but what about with our children? Now, this is really hard for me, and this took me, this is some still work in process. My children are five and three, and they see me do some things that I'm not always proud of. But can I tell you right now, I know that they're watching me, so the other day, about a week ago, I did something that I shouldn't have. I yelled and I screamed. You know what I did after we got out of the car? I got down, looked him in the eye, and said, guess what? Daddy shouldn't have yelled. That was wrong of me. We don't need to yell. Do you forgive me? Austin went like this. Want to see my booger? <laughs> We're having a moment, son. This is like I'm tearing up talking to my three-year-old son, and he's just like, want to eat it? You know, I'm like, no. But can I tell you what? Years from now, they're going to know that no matter how big the man may be, he should never get too big to get down on a knee and say, I'm sorry. Be leading the way. And I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not perfect. But this is one of those things where we just, in our home, and Jane and I, we just try to lead in this, that you, we're going to be the first one to apologize. We're going to fight to apologize first. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. We're going to get to this. I don't feel like apologizing. I know. We're going to get to that. Because the feeling always comes afterwards. So we lead. We don't leave. Also, we let go. We don't hold on. We let go. Notice, if you would, verse number 8. The Bible says, and he said, God's speaking to Hagar. And he said, hey, where did you come from and where are you going? She has a decision. She said, hey, I came from here. I left Abraham's house, and I'm going home. But God stops her and says, wait a minute. I'm going to stop you. You're at a crossroads. What decision are you going to make? And here's where a lot of you are at. We've said, don't burn the bridge. Have you ever heard this idiom? I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. How many ever heard that one? What does that mean? I'll do it later, huh? That's what it means. I'll do it later. My wife will ask me this question. Hey, what are we going to do about next January? I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Because I don't like to get too far out. I like to think a couple weeks, a couple months, and I'm working at this. But she's already in 2025 when Megan graduates college. She's like, what are we going to do there? We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. You know, she'll just kind of work a part-time job. It'll be all right for college and everything. And some of you guys are doing that with your relationship. You're like, no, I'm not going to work. I'm making things right. I'll just cross that bridge when I come to it. There are some things you don't delay you do today. Can we just say that? Touch the neighbor next to you. Say, don't delay. Do it today. Don't delay. Do it today. When it comes to restoring the relationship, don't delay. Do it today. Don't wait on this. Don't wait to make things better. You mean you and your spouse like to be angry at each other day after day after day after day? You mean you like that lumpy couch? You mean you like waking up feeling like you didn't get a good night's rest? And so now you go to work all week grumpy and upset because you've been sleeping on the couch and you and your wife haven't been getting along or you and your children haven't been getting along. You want to keep going through that? How about we just deal with the issue? You say, well, no, 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 I just just don't want to deal with it. That'll get messy. There's going to be the drama and the trauma. You need to deal with that instead of just going on. But you know what I see a lot of people do? They make bitterness their buddy. And they make hate their homie. You see, what do you mean? Some of you just enjoy the bitterness. You just, the world owes you and you kind of like that. You kind of feed off of it. You like the victim mentality. You just kind of make bitterness your buddy. And hate is your homie. You just hate that person. But you actually don't hate that person. You just like hating There's a part of you just, it's just easier to hate instead of actually dealing with it. 
Instead of saying, you know what? There are some raw emotions here. There are some hurt. There is some wrong. I don't want to face it. Hagar didn't want to face it. She said, I'd rather run from it. That's a natural tendency. And some of you have something going on right now, and you're saying, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Guess what? You came to that bridge. You came to church today. It's time to cross that bridge. The message for you is let's cross that bridge. Let's deal with it. Let's not wait another day. The Bible says this, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Meaning, don't go to bed angry. Don't go to bed with this thing hanging over your head. Deal with this. But so many people, you have stomach ulcers, you have stress, you have uh, a back pain, and it's all because you got this bitterness, and inside you're tense, and you're irritated, and you can't deal with it, and you're wondering why you're having health problems. It's because you're so wrapped up with this thing, you're not dealing with it. And Hagar, God asked her the question, hey, what are you going to do? You going to keep running? Are you going to deal with this? Where are you going? I want to ask you that same question. Where are you going with this? Are you going to cross this bridge? Or are you going to run from this bridge? Because the bridge is there. You say, well, I'll, I'll cross that bridge and that person gets right. Can I tell you this? Unforgiveness for a Christian is unforgiving. Let me say it again because that was so good. Unforgiveness for a Christian is unforgiving. Can you imagine a Christian who doesn't forgive? I can't imagine it. Because the Bible says this. The Bible says that Jesus, as he died on the cross for your sin and my sin, one of the final statements that he said to his father in heaven, he said, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. And you're telling me that you can't forgive somebody who hurt you. When Jesus said, I can hang on a cross, I can take your sin, I can take your punishment, my heavenly father and my God is going to turn his back on me, the iniquities, the sins of the world are going to lay it on his back, he's going to take that and he can still muster up the strength to say with his dying breath, father forgive them and you can't forgive? Unforgiveness for a Christian is unforgiving. And we need to get back to that. We need to get back to the point where we, as Christians, say, you know what? That person wronged me. That person stole from me. That person hurt me. That person did all kinds of terrible things to me. But I'm going to forgive that person. Now, let me add a caveat. If there is a person in your life that is hurting you, beating you, you can forgive them, but you don't need to go back to them. There comes a point where you say, no, no, no. I'm not going to allow you to continue this bad behavior. No. That's not what we're talking about here, okay? We're not talking about, hey, your husband, your boyfriend's beating on you, and you're just like, well, I just keep forgiving him, and I keep going back to him. No, no, no. You call the police, you leave. You don't put up with that, okay? We'll find some people in here that haven't been saved that long, and we'll go take care of that person, all right? Okay? We'll just deal with it. That's what we do. That's how we roll, okay? Don't mess with us. We'll get a little gangster come out. I don't know. And so I just want you to understand that when it comes to these relationships, yeah, forgive them, but you don't have to always go right back to them, okay? Now, God had something he wanted Hagar to do. So God said, Hagar, I want you to go back. And as far as we know, Sarah never mistreated Hagar. It's not recorded in Scripture. She never mistreated her anymore. But Hagar had to be the person to initiate the forgiveness. She had to do it. She was wrong. She was hurt. But she said, hey, I'm still going to initiate. You know, growing up in our home, my mom, she taught us how to forgive. Because I grew up with a lot of siblings, lots of fights, lots of doctor's visits, lots of stitches, lots of broken bones. It's just going to happen when you got five boys, two girls. And those girls are tough in our home. And, uh, you know, it just you just knew something was going to happen. And so when we would say sorry, this is often how it would go. Sorry. That's how we would say sorry, all right? Sorry. If I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. I'm really, really sorry. And my mom would always come over, you're not sorry. (sighs) I'm really, 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 really sorry. What do you want me to do? My mom would always stop and say, no, no, no. This is how you do it. You say, you look the person in the eye and you say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Changes it. Some of you, when you say sorry, this is how you say sorry. If I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. You know what you're doing? 
You're saying, you're an emotional basket case, and your emotions are all over the place, and nobody can walk around you without stepping on them. So you got big old issues, but I'm sorry if I stepped on them because you're dysfunctional. You need to go see Oprah or something. That's what you're saying. If I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. You're acting like the person's got bigger problems than you. Don't do that to people. Or here's what's worse. Here's what the lawyers and politicians do. I take full responsibility for my actions. No, say I'm sorry. Not I take full responsibility for my actions. Duh, you did it. You're going to take it. You caused this problem. You better take responsibility. But what happens is I see a lot of people. there. The way you ask sorry is so fake. And you want to get mad at your spouse because they don't believe you. Because you're like, well, if I, if I upset you, I know it's that time for ladies, so I just think you're a little emotional or something. Nothing I do, we're right. And we just make all kinds of excuses. And then we wonder why we don't have a strong relationship. Now, there's a way we say sorry. We don't just kind of, oh, whatever. No, no. We ought to lead the way in doing it the right way. Because God wants restoration in your relationship. God wants there to be peace. He wants there to be joy. He wants there to be happiness in the relationships. But you know what? Some of you are like, well, I'll I'll say I'm sorry if I feel like it. Guess what? Please write this down. Feelings aren't foundational. They're faulty. You say, what do you mean? For some of you, your feelings aren't going to be there. Because your feelings aren't foundational. Your feelings will lie to you. I go to the gym about four or five times a week. If you were to say, do you love going to the gym? No. Do you love putting on your training shoes? Do you love putting on the track pants? Do you love putting on the shirt? Do you love having to get the protein shake? Do you love having to load everybody in the car? No, 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 and no. There is nothing I like about going to the gym. Well, once you get going and once you kind of get it 15 minutes as you work out, don't you just love it? No. Well, don't you love the first two, three minutes after the workout? Don't you feel a sense of accomplishment? No, I feel like throwing up. There's nothing about it that I love. Until about 30 minutes after the workout. All of a sudden, my body's rested. The endorphins are going. Oh, man, I feel good. But here's the thing. The feeling comes after the right action. You say, man, I just want to feel good until I feel like saying I'm sorry. I'm not going to say sorry. Guess what? You're not going to feel better until you just do what you need to do. You will feel great afterward. Once you restore that relationship, once you call that person, and it's going to be hard to call that person. It's going to be hard to humble yourself, even though, guess what? They may have done more wrong than you did. Throughout Scripture, Jesus taught, hey, it's not about the offender. It's about the offendee. A lot of times we like to focus on the person who offended us, the offender. And God said, no, it's the offendee. It's you. I'm responsible for my response. So when I mess up, I fess up. Because guess what? When I blow it, they know it. All right? So let's just get real and say, you know what? Hey, it's my fault. I'm going to own up to this. I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to lead the way in this. I'm going to be the first one. Let's be a church where we say, you know, we're going to restore this relationship. We're going to work hard for this relationship. We may fight, but we are going to fight for this relationship. The Bible says this, Matthew 6, 12, in the Lord's Prayer. You know the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Here's what Jesus said. He said, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Why would he use debts and debtors? Because to forgive someone means to cancel the debt, never to have it come back. Some of you, you never actually cancel the debt when you say, I'm sorry. You're like, I'm still going to hang on to it. I don't know. I've talked to my wife, and she's told me about some things, and we've talked about it. There are some cultures that they actually like to hold on to things over your head and kind of hold it over your head. Like, remember that one thing that I did for you 15 years ago? You owe me. And you're like, What it makes you want to do is never ask them for any help. Never ask them for any favors because you know for the next, however long they live, they're going to hold this over your head. And if you're that type of person, that's against the word of God because the Bible says cancel the debt. Forgive them that debt. Cancel it like it never happened. Thirdly and finally, lift them up. Don't bring them down. Notice if you would verse number 11. The Bible says, 
And the angel Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. You know what's so powerful about this? And we're going to kind of wrap it up around these thoughts. Is the fact that we have here, the Bible says the angel of the Lord appeared. This is the first time the angel of the Lord appears. Now, let me get kind of deep Bible for you for a second, okay? The angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate Christ. You say, what do you mean? Christ, Jesus, was not, was, didn't exist, start to exist once he was born on planet Earth. Okay? When Mary had Jesus, Jesus was already alive. Okay? That's when he took human form. But there is pre-incarnate. In the Old Testament, he appeared. In certain situations, Jesus, the pre-incarnate, before he took on uh, uh, human flesh, he appeared on earth. And the first time Jesus does is to meet with Hagar. You know what's powerful about that? Because here is an abused woman with an unborn child. And God and Jesus says, I want that one. I want that case. Shows how much Jesus cares about the unborn. Shows how much Jesus cares about the unborn. And I'm going to go on a little quick rant. You just hang on with me. The fact that our country has neglected the unborn is a horrible blight on our country. The fact that politicians would get up and ignore the atrocities that are happening right now is shameful at best in our country. And we've got to get back to the point where we say, wait a minute, if Jesus, Jesus said, hey, your son's name is going to be Ishmael. You know what Ishmael means? It means God hears. That's what God said, hey, I'm going to name this one. That guess what, Hagar? God hears you. Yes, you have been hurt. You've been neglected. You have an unborn baby. And guess what? You're out here in the desert on your own, on your way to Egypt, not sure if you're going to make it. And you're, you're discouraged. And you're distraught. Guess what? Jesus is here. Jesus steps into that situation and says, I care about you. Not only that, the name of the well is God sees. Not only does God hear, it's God sees. She's at a well on sure. And guess what? They named the well God sees. So God saw her and God heard her. And here she is in a horrible moment. And God says, I'm right here. You know what she could have done? She could have easily just hold on. But she decides, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go of my bitterness. I'm going to let go of my hate. And we as a country need to get back to the point where we say, you know what? We care for those who cannot care for themselves. So we're going to lift them up. Let's not bring them down. We're going to build that bridge. We're going to lift them up. And at this moment, we know that we can lift people up because why? God hears. Because why? We're responsible for our response. I can tell you why she left. She left for three reasons. Okay? She ran and she ran for the same reasons you and I ran or run from God. Because we feel like God is absent in our life. And there's been moments where you're like, God, where are you? She ran because she felt like God was apathetic to her situation. God, do you even care? And then she ran because she thought God was angry. And there will be moments in your life, there have been moments in my life, where I've felt like, God, where are you in this situation? Did I do something to make you angry at me? Did I upset you? Did I offend you? What happened in this relationship? And at those moments, we need to say, I'm still responsible for my response. So at this point, we need to say, even though that person did something hurtful, God still hears. God still cares. And God is still in that situation. He still wants to do something with that situation. And we need to say, you know what? I'm still going to build this bridge. I'm still going to build this bridge. Even though the other person may not deserve it, even though the other person may have hurt me, I'm still going to go to work on this bridge. I'm going to still do some building. I'm still going to grab my tool belt. I'm going to strap it on, and I'm going to go to work. Because that's what church is all about. Church is all about giving you the tools so that you will go to work. Not so you can sit here, drink some free coffee, eat some free donuts, and get some free entertainment because this white boy don't know what he's doing. No, that's not what it's about. It's about you equipping yourself to restore the relationships. Because I guarantee you on Monday, there's going to be somebody at the office. There's going to be somebody at school. There's going to be somebody in the home. Something's going to happen. And you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be irritated. And you're going to want to say, forget it. I'm done. I've had it. And it's at that moment you're going to say, wait a minute. I got this tool on Sunday. I got some stuff in my tool belt to help me with this relationship. It gave me some hope. 
It gave me some tools that I can use. It gave me something for this situation so I can talk to my coworker who doesn't know if her and her husband are going to make it, who don't know if that relationship is going to hold up, who doesn't know if what she could do to reach out to her mom. At that moment, you're going to pull out some tools. You're going to have some things in your tool belt to help you. So don't you come to church thinking, I just, I just soak it all in. No, no, you come here to get something for your tools so you can go to work this week. It's a work order. Church is about getting to work on our lives. It's about getting to work on our families' lives. It's about getting to work in our communities. It's about getting to work in our cities. It's about getting to work at our jobs. It's about doing more than just saying, hey, it's all about me. Don't hurt me. Don't offend me. Don't bother me. And if you do all those things, then we good. No, we need to get away from that attitude. It's, hey, I got my tools, and I'm going to work this morning. I'm dropping some tools, but that's all good. But we need to say, hey, where, where are my tools? Some of your tool belts, you got nothing in them. Nothing in the tool belt. And you're wondering why your life is jacked up. So you ain't putting anything in the tool belt. Every week we give you a worship guide that has notes. All week I studied to get those notes, to give you something. You just take those? Do you even look at them throughout the week? Hey, guess what? We got growth groups. You know what growth groups do? Tools. Tools help you. Hey, we got people that want to pray for you. We got people that are opening up their homes. They cook free food. And it's good, too. And guess what? You can go and you get some tools in your tool belt, and you're telling me, no. And you're wondering why your life is jacked up? Come on now. You got all the tools you need. You don't have an excuse. We don't have no excuse why our relationship isn't awesome. Come on, you and your kids can get along great. We're going to give you some great tools. This series is going to be an encouragement to your family. This series is going to be a help to you. We're going to have some great families. We're going to have some great marriages in this church. We're going to have some awesome kids in this family. We're going to have some great people coming out of this church. Why? Because we're going to constantly, week after week, give you tools in your tool belt so that you go home and you say, hey, I'm ready. Satan, bring it on. World, bring it on. I got some tools. I'm ready to go to work. Because I got my hard hat, I got my hammer, I got my nails, I got my level, I got, I don't even know what these tools are. I just threw them in there. I couldn't even name them if you wanted me to. I just, this is just impressed Jane, that's all it is. I went and bought some old rusty tools. She said, give me something that look used, okay, so she thinks I know what I'm doing. I just bang on stuff. I don't know what I'm doing with any of these things. It just looks there. I don't even know if they're mine. I probably borrowed them from a neighbor. I borrowed them from one of you. I may owe you some tools. But I want you to understand, this week... Don't just take a message and just think, man, that was sure great. Hope that helps somebody else. No, help. It should help us. We should take these things, talk about them, work on them, saying, what in my life do I need to develop? What in my life do I need to change? What in my life is God saying, hey, let's go to work and let's build this bridge. Not when I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. No, no, I'm building this relationship. I'm working all I can. Because I think sometimes we leave with never leading. Lastly, Jesus built the ultimate bridge, didn't he? You say, what do you mean, preacher? I already mentioned the scripture. I'm going to mention it again. Because the Bible says in 2 Peter that Jesus died on a cross. The Bible says, who his own self bore our iniquities on his body on the cross that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we're healed. You see, the cross became the ultimate bridge. That means we have a bridge to cross. Let me say it again. The cross became the ultimate bridge. You and I have a bridge to cross. For some of you, the bridge is salvation. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, ever. And so today, that's what you need to do. You need to say, you know what? I've never done this. Lord, I'm, I'm putting my faith, my trust, my hope in you. I'm doing that. And for some of you, it's time to make a phone call, write an email, somebody you need to talk to, there's a conversation you need to have, and you just say, hey, we're crossing this bridge. I'm crossing this. I've been running from it. I've been skirting around it. I haven't been dealing with it. We're going to deal with this. And it's going to be a little bit messy for a while. It's not easy. I remember the first time my parents taught me this lesson. I'm going to close with this. I lived in Morgan Hill. Some of you know that. My dad used to pastor in Morgan Hill. Used to be at Thrifty's Ice Cream in Morgan Hill off Monterey Highway. Anybody remember the old Thrifty's? Good ice cream. It was cheap. We had a lot of kids, so everything was cheap. I remember one time we were checking out. And they had zebra bubble gum. Any of you remember the zebra bubble gum? 
tastes awful, but it was just cool because it had all the colors. You know what I did? I can't even believe I still remember this. I was probably like three years old. Couldn't have been older than three. Well, I took it. I took it home. I hid it in my pocket. I made it home. I made it home. I ran into the bathroom. I closed the door, and I went to town on that zebra bubble gum. One piece after another. Just, oh, man, it's so good. All of a sudden, then, my parents came to the door. Micaiah, come out. Stomach hurting? Oh, oh, oh. uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's not. They opened the door. All the wrappers on the floor. Where'd you get the bubble gum? I found it. No. They said, let's go. They said, get your piggy bank. Every kid, you know, your piggy bank, that's your life savings, man. That's what you're going to buy that car with. That's what you're going to go to college with. I think I had like 37 cents. I don't know how much was in there. There was actually a couple dollar bills in there. So my parents took all the money that I had. They said, hey, we're going right now to, to Thrifty's. Didn't yell, didn't spank. I was like, this is going to be all right. I'm going to get away with it. We were driving back to Thrifty's to get more gum. Awesome. Man, my parents are learning. This is really good. That worked out so well. We get there, and they were like, can we speak to the manager? Speak to the manager? What in, what in the world? All of a sudden, that manager came, and I couldn't say anything. I just broke down, bawling, crying. And my dad was like, you have to say you're sorry that you stole that gum. All of a sudden, I was like, I did just steal it. And I got scared. I thought I was going to jail. I was like, I didn't know they couldn't put little kids in jail. But I was like, I'm talking to the manager. And I started to get so scared. I'm bawling. I'm crying. And my dad was like, you have to say you're sorry. And then you have to pay it back for that gum. And I remember paying him back, giving him that money. And then I remember going home, not being able to sit down for a few days, you know, because my parents, they believed in applying the rod of correction to the seat of knowledge. And uh, so they, they just, you know, they just did some, some stuff, you know, and um, took care of it. Can I tell you what? That's a powerful lesson that just stayed with me. It's kind of funny now looking back on it. But ever since that age, we realized, hey, when we mess up, we got to take, take care of it. Just get it right. So you may have a story similar, or you may have a really big story you need to deal with. 